send you lovely fate. Carmelita, hold me tighter. The champion of the battle of the tough guys is... rebrand continues everyone you are invited again once more to hear the opinions of men of no consequence i am man of no consequence one mike he is the monolith of opinion adam <laughs> and we are here in a kind of make good episode as it were for in the previous guise of the listening party we began on the endeavor of listening to the catalog of james bond themes that's correct mm-hmm. 1962 to 1984, and on previous episode, we left things off at Rita Coolidge's all-time high. Which I'm sure everybody remembers. Everyone remembers both that and the song itself. Which You're forgiven if you don't. It's fine. (laughs) Don't at all. I I mean, all-time high isn't even a crude euphemism, which is... How is it supposed to function as a memorable Bond song? How is it supposed to function at all? Mm. Um... I will say up front, because this is more of a compilation collection of songs, there will be no context here, everyone. We're oh. just going to crack on with some facts. So, sorry, there will be no context. Other than, <laughs> I know that's what you'll come from. Tone of voice of a man that's thinking, well, that's it, we've lost them now. <laughs> that demographic of 70 to 80 year old women. Oh, they're out the door. He's not coming with context, love. So, in the build-up to this, because um, you've gone and done the listenings in the build-up to this, you have sent me a message. Yes, around I, have, I already have thoughts. You have thoughts? You are largely more in favour of this batch of songs than you were of the previous. Hey, I'm as surprised as you. Um, particularly given that I would say that the previous batch um, occupy a period in time that I'm altogether more interested in. Um, than, than, say, the present day, mm. which has very little to offer me. Has nothing for you, Adam. There's Please. nothing for me here. No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. Cards on the table. You know, you, you met my co-host last week, the three-week-old. Yep. Say last week, last time we did this. Terrible. Yeah, awful. She's got no mic technique at all. No, an abysmal turn of phrase. But she is uh, looming large. She casts one hell of a shadow in the household. And as such, these, uh, these, this crop of songs were listened to under different circumstances than the first. Uh, under duress. There shall be no metric. There was, there was no hazy night that involved more Merlot than it should have done. Followed by attempting to discern what the hell we were talking about. Abby was broadly aware that we were listening to them, but yeah, well, there, there was no fun to be had. No, 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 this was a task. I mean, is, is there a way we could just replicate that metric system you had going on? So what was it, danceability, sexiness? Uh, Bombast certainly was one of them. Bombast. We, we can try, Mike, but the, the form has long been thrown away. Oh. <laughs> it's a shame. Because I wanted to demonstrate my absolute disregard for the world of academe and its rules mm-hmm. i thought no i'm not going to continue with a consistent metric 
I'm just going to throw my opinions into the ether and see what happens. And that's what I've done. Which brings us to a view to a kill. Or from a kill. It's involved viewing and killing. But where you're stood appears to be vital. Yes. The original title, as it was given the end of Octopus, was From a View to a Kill. But as it as we came to it in 1985, it was simply A View to a Kill. And it would be Roger Moore's last triumph as our hero. An odd film, A View to a Kill, because it is not uh, considered fondly in the annals of James Bond. However... Oh, why? Why so? Given the, given the mixed bag that is James Bond, why is this well, one one of the crappers? For starters, Roger Moore being visibly quite old at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, one of those. Even he famously said, I realised my time was up on James Bond when I was older than my co-star's mother. Good. How old was he, roughly? Oh, you can't remember what's on my head. He was, I would say, mid-50s. Ooh. Ooh. I don't think MI5 are putting... Surely they're not putting men in their mid-50s in the field like to do this sort of work, are they? I, I, I couldn't possibly comment. Uh, <laughs> I just have cover. zero knowledge. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I mean, Daniel Craig's cracking on, but however, he, he does I would say that Daniel better Craig, care. Yeah, Daniel Craig and physique. Roger Moore are hewn from different stuff. Yes, yes. Bear um, in mind, Roger Moore has the body of a man who invented the Magnum, <laughs> as true. we discussed before. This, uh, see, I can't remember which episode, but you, we have discussed on a previous episode. Um, was that was that actually the last Bond episode? Can't remember. No idea, but um, you know, I've no heard idea. That, I've heard that story told in several podcasts. It's like being sponsored by Squarespace, which we still aren't. You've got Waiting. to talk about Roger Moore and Squarespace have got to, you know, get in touch. That would be a 52. Again, still waiting. So, yeah, uh, I think there was an element there where, because a lot of it's set in America and it involves micro microchips. It was micro considered quite... Chips. Which was big in the 80s. But yeah, I think there was an element there where it was considered a little bit like, this is just a bit of a flat, nothing thriller. However, bolstered by two standout turns by Christopher Walken and Grace Jones. And Simon LeBan. In the music video, yes. No, no, just his vocal over this lifts the whole endeavour. Surely you agree. Yeah. Well, it's a song, yes, A View to a Kill, Duran Duran, which it is a dichotomy here because you've got the film with, to be uncharitable, a clapped out Roger Moore. But, <laughs> but the song, the theme song, is by one of the biggest pop bands in the world at that time, and actually sounds it's crisp today. It's the year it came out. Oh, let's be fair, it sounds it sounds brilliant. It's fucking brilliant. I mean, again, on one of our earlier Bowie podcasts, we extolled the virtues of this very song about how it's fucking belting. Because it is. Yeah. I like when I said to you the other day, and I, I I've thought about it more, and I believe this to be true. Since Paul McCartney, every Bond composer has thought, "Oh fuck, I really, I better try." I mean, Rita tried her best. She did, but I don't even count that. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> the previous tranche, 
ended with Live and Let Die, and then it was View to a Kill. Could we not squeeze Nobody Does It Better in there? That holds Was up. that after that as well? That was that was Spy Who Loved Me, Carly Simon. Oh, God. Yeah, well, that's... Alan that, that stands the test of time. It, well, it, I don't think it's... Yeah, fine, whatever. It's, but, I haven't got time. I haven't got time for this. We don't have time. We don't have time. View to a Kill is superb. It really is brilliant because it's one of those that manages to work as a song in its own right. Yes, you could have this independent of the film and yeah, well, absolutely... Yeah, it's, it's well, better than a like film. Live and Let Die. You can Duran Duran probably play this live. Oh, I'm and, sure they do. Yeah, and I imagine it goes down absolutely superbly every time. And it doesn't matter that it was the theme to a forgettable Bond film yeah. featuring a, a woozy, wheezy Roger Moore. <laughs> yeah, you just you open that. Meeting you. With a view, it's so, oh, it's got such bombast. It scores highly on the bombast. Oh, it me. does, and the the all of the little bits where it goes, da, 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 da. yeah, oh, yeah, it's got all the stuff thrown in there. It manages so, to be sort of slow and with a nod towards sexiness. Yeah, it's not over. It's not over the top of the sexiness. It's also it's not over top the top in the eighties ness as well. Even mm. though it's dripping in eighties. Yes, because of all those that um, no, drum noise on its own. Yeah, you squarely in the middle of the decade, but not in a, you know, Ryan Paris La Dolce Vita way, <laughs> but in a, like a good way. And if you do remember the um, the opening credits of View to a Kill, there's lots of neon face paint and lasers going on, which is just looks cheap and horrible. Very eighties. Yeah. Um, but if, if I if I may some context, it, I mean, it was more information. He said he wasn't going to do any. Now he's changed his mind. I don't know to turn him off or just give him a kiss. It was. It became one of the band's biggest hits. The only theme, as in James Bond theme, to reach number one in the US. Oh, good was, for them. Yeah, and it was held off a, in the top spot in the UK by Paul Harcastle's Nineteen. Oh dear, that's a shame. Once again, <laughs> Britain, you've really let yourselves down. Come on, Brit, Britain. That Come happened, on, and Britain. then Brexit. You've got to try. It was the last Durand song. Duran offered you a view to a kill and you rejected them. <laughs> it was the last song the band performed at Live Aid. I don't remember them performing at Live Aid. They could stick it out for disc. I don't remember that at either. But equally, by the time Duran Duran are on, is anybody paying attention? <laughs> Did they perform in UK or Philadelphia? Who could say? Who could um, say? I mean, we could just easily find this out, but who can say? There's no way of knowing. No um, way of knowing. The, problem, the American one is very it's patchier. I don't yes, know if George Thorogood and the Destroyers still have the live reputation that they seem to have there. And Joan Byers taking an age to sing Amazing Grace. <laughs> this is your Woodstock. Get on with it. <laughs> you national treasure, you. The song was nominated for a Golden Globe, written by written by the band and John Barry, and features a 60-piece orchestra. Bassist John Taylor had drunkenly approached Cubby Broccoli at a party and said, I fucking love James Bond films. You should get us to a James Bond film. That'd be great. And the, uh, the old producer, Maestro, went away and thought, yeah, baby, let's do that. As Cubby Broccoli was famous. Sorry. And the round around all turned up and went, Rod, we've written a song. <laughs> We're going to need a 60-piece orchestra because you've got to try and place them where they were, Mike. Well, 
the first time they met with John Barry uh, to actually start composing this piece, it basically turned into a drinking session and it always got hammered. Ah, uh, wonderful. John Barry's a child of the 60s. <laughs> yeah, and apparently they actually all got on famously. John Barry really enjoyed working with them. And uh, I mean, you can really hear that, can't you? It's such fun to be had here. Oh, the joie de vivre here. Everyone's having a rare old time. Uh, and a music video for it was filmed at the Eiffel Tower to recreate a sequence in the film where Bond is chasing Grace Jones's Mayday up the tower. And it's hysterical because you've got a flying uh, video camera. For some reason. For some reason. Yeah. keeping track. I and believe there's fake lasers involved. There's lasers in there. Lasers and you've well. got the iconic delivery of Simon Le Bon. With, if you would. Bon. Simon Le Bon. <laughs> and we all die a little inside <laughs> it's awful business isn't it but what i find is interesting is i think that shows you the fundamental buoyancy of the song in that all of these things have not cheapened it or diminished it it's still a belter yeah you you would never have a bad time listening to a song huh. and that's a guarantee Yes, you just simply need to dance into the fire somehow. And all you see is a view to a kill. What does it mean, everyone? Who could now, say? But if fun. you were to, I mean, I know we sort of tried with the previous episode, but if you were to try and discern meaning from Bond lyrics, you're on a hide into nothing. You're basically saying Bond sexy and dangerous. Well, that, yes, but tonally that does seem to change when the with the Bonds. So you, yes. it's quite easy to tell. Like I would say, Sean Connery's sexy, sexy Bond, bombast. View to a kill, Roger Moore Bond, fun, fun Bond. By the time <laughs> Daniel Craig rolls around, it's sad. He's a sad Bond, We're sad old Bond. I He's mean, a sad Bond. Do you know who uh, covered this song once upon a time? View to a kill. Yes. Grand Dame of the James Bonds herself. No. Yes. Do you mean old Big Bassy? Big Bassy covered this. Big Brassy Bassy. She covered this, did she? Big Brassy Brazier wielding Bassy. Did she go the full Rick Rubin? Really slow. Stripped it back. I'm imagining a thousand-piece orchestra. 500 of them are horns. A thousand-piece orchestra in pitched battle with her, and she's drowning them all out. Drowning them. Over the valleys. Yeah, yeah. Cheryl yes. singing from 20 miles away. It's also, unfortunately, was covered by the Lost Prophets. Yikes. Oh, that's shame. a shame, isn't it? <laughs> mm. Yeah. But I do love how uh, mixing between all the electric guitars and the synths, Barry's orchestra is just right in there, just twirling, twirling away. But that's the beauty of this and the next one, is that the little Bond flourishes, like the orchestra and the little um, string refrains. They mm. just embellish. They don't time. Yeah, they, they don't drown not, anything down. It doesn't. It's still a song in its own right, as well as being yeah. an excellent Bond song. Because sometimes with Bond songs, it can almost feel like there's two worlds colliding, especially when they're yeah. trying to do the rock thing. It's just like, we've got a rock band, and now we've got an orchestra, and they just feel like they're competing, whereas this one just meshes beautifully. Yeah, it does. It's great. It's great. As I think it does with the next song from 1987, no. Aha's The Living Daylights. I'm going to give you a word here, mm -hmm. and it's not a word that I think necessarily always goes with um, 
theme songs or indeed Bond in general. But I think this is fucking classy, Mike. This is a classy, is classy. piece of music. It is classy. And again, it's because the orchestra complements the rock yep. trappings. But it's t- the, the, the orchestra is dialed up on Living Daylights, I think. Yes. Well, it's... I think that's possibly because Morton Harkett is a far stronger vocalist than Simon Le Bon. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I like <laughs> Le Bon. Oh, on the subject of Le Bon, do you know who's a surprising fan of theirs? Charles Manson. <laughs> yes. Um, no, John Johnny Rotten, Joel Johnny Lydon. You know, professional contrary oh. and John Lydon. Big um, fan of um, Hungry Like the Wolf. Huh. He, he mentions it about four times in his book. Oh, it, it, it's on my shelf. I have not read it yet. He just keeps coming back to Hungry Like the Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> what, has he been listening to it as he's been writing? Oh, it's fucking come on again. It's fucking <laughs> right. I'll never get tired of it. No. <laughs> yeah, so Living Daylights is written by the band's guitarist. You forgive my absolute bludgeoning of this uh, name. Pal Vakstar? And John Barry. However, oh, the, relation- there he is. the relationship between Barry and Aha was not as harmonious with the Living Daylights, and they well, did not get on at all. I think... Um... My impression of them is that Aha are really quite poor-faced and a little they want to be professional, whereas Duran Duran are famously a bunch of boozy brummies. Well, they all, for the first time they met Barry, they always got booze up a lovely time. Yes, Barry did say he found working with a band exhausting as they insisted on using their own version. Yeah, I think they just were like, oh great, we signed up to do a Bond song, let's go write it, and then like, ah, but you've got to work with Barry! Well, whether or not they liked one another, they created a classy-ass track. They did, but they did also dispute John Barry even getting a co-writer's credit on it, as they thought he brought... uh, All he did was bring the string arrangements without actually writing any of the words, the beautiful words. I believe Aha are fond of um, arguing about credits, though, because Morton Harkett never got... Like, um, I believe his argument is he never got his fair share for things like... Oh, I don't know. Let's name an Aha song. What could, which one could we be thinking of? These are the only two I know off the top it's of my not head. The sun only shines on TV. Let's put it that way. Oh, well, I don't the you other know, one. You know one more Aha song than I do. You don't know the sun only shines on TV. Nope. Oh, it's, it's I classic. Aha! Uh-huh, I literally know this and take on me. Oh, okay. Well, there are there are three big ones, and oh. uh, we've talked about two of them. Very good. Yeah. yeah, so it got to number five in the UK, number one in Norway. I think that's where they're from, not Sweden. It's somewhere around there, everyone. It's probably got a fjord. Um, out of interest, if it got to number five, what did I wonder what we put in at number one that week? Um, I think it's worth right. finding. Right. The top, the top four I can see from this week are. At four, Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. Yeah. Good, good song. Number three, Under the Boardwalk by Bruce Willis. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, The Firm, Star Trekking. Ooh. Yeah. Number one, Pet Shop Boys, It's a Sin. Oh, in fairness, It's a Sin is a complete smash. I mean, you've got 
poor barnstormers there. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't, I can't it's see. It's not a harsh fault, mate. It was an unusually tough week. In the it was a, a tough competition, a well-run race, everyone. We've got the heavyweights of Willis, the firm. Yeah. I've listened to the song Star Trekking more than I probably should have in my lifetime. I think I have it on vinyl. Fairly confident that I will have danced to it a lot at kids' clubs. Last <laughs> week. The, just last week, yeah. Everyone, have a shot! Get off the desk! Star Trekking across the... Yeah, surprisingly, considering all the um, the fallout and the legal shenanigans, uh, the, the song has actually remained a mainstay of AHA's live repertoire. Yeah, three people on stage not speaking to one another. Um, Come yeah. Hasn't he got access to a lot of octaves? He does. I mean, for the longest time, I thought there was two lead vocalists. No, he's just one of those weird people. But if you, you presumably, like me, have tried to sing along to this and you're going, hey, drive. And I think, where we yeah. go in. <laughs> I'm absolutely this. My nerves are showing. And then comes the morning. <laughs> yes, I mean, it's, it's hazy, mysterious what he's doing with his voice and the decisions he makes to do it. Works, though. I, I like the fact that the lyrics are the vaguest set of things. Oh yes, they barely having any words. They just they just keep repeating. But Let it never fade away. They just seem to deliver them differently every time in the way that that they somehow do. conveys meaning. That and it sort of works. I mean, it's a ramshackle song, really, because there's so yeah. much going on. And that, it shouldn't work, but it really does. And they've even got the big James Bond like guitar sound in it. Down, down, down. Yeah, I love John Barry's like string arrangements on this. So oh, I think da, 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 da. we are two for two so far. They, yeah, triumphs. And I just think it's a shame, though, this would be John Barry's last hurrah, considering he's a man who almost formed the sound of James Bond. Oh, well, do... what news of Barry? Well, just I think after this, he, I think it was a case of the producers wanted to try a different sound as Bond going to the late 80s but also I think he actually was a bit soured of working with a bunch of knobheads and he was like do you know what I've got pretty nice decent career going myself don't really don't need this hassle and presumably um a healthy jet stream of ducats as a result of it oh yeah it's a handsome stipend for the years yes you know a, a caravan in Weymouth that sort of thing Oh, you can holiday anytime he wants. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it, Mike. So long as the so long as the site's open, they're in season. I mean, it, it's he's paid pay for it in dividends with his born free money. So James Bond as well. Good he Lord. did did so many Adam, so many line in winter. He did as well. Did he? He did. Yes. Didn't make quite as much money on that, did he? <laughs> it's still a belter. Yes, the man who would take over him for 1989's License to Kill would be Michael Kamen. Michael Sorely missed, R.I.P. Michael Kamen has let himself down. So, we disagree on this. Yeah, we do. For you have an opinion. Yep. Some would say wrong. Mm. I have an opinion. This song is wonderful. It's... We even disagree on the sound, because I think it sounds warm and lush. You think it sounds tinny and flat. I'm sorry, I'm speaking for you. You're right here. You can say it yourself. 
Okay, no, I can get defend your, tell, tell me. Tell me, Ad. Yo. Pat, tell me how you're... Tell, simmer tell down. <laughs> I just happened to think that Timothy Dalton is a better... It's a it's a thin, reedy song. Gladys Knight deserved better. It just it sounds to me like they had. Uh, it was one of those where they went. Well, we don't even need an orchestra. We can have a synthesizer. We'll do all of the four of us. There was an orchestra, Rad. It may well have had an orchestra, but then they just recorded it really badly, which is not unheard of in 1989. See, I think it sounds quite warm. That. Da, 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 da. Ooh, baby. Yeah. <laughs> One, two, I love. Do you know I the mean, bit I really didn't like is once I get my sad song, you da, 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 da. in a blink of an eye, I'll be there to. Da, 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 Do you know what is irritating about the song is the fact that the, the the title of the film appears like it's been screwed on to a song that it it was not meant for, so. You know I'm going straight for your heart. Anyone who tries to tear us apart, you go, oh, uh, license to kill. To kill. <laughs> Not talking about killing. Well, there is a famous legend with the film that uh, it was going to be called License Revoked. But people in America considered that, uh, had that in image more of having your driver's license taken away. What so imagine, imagine if the theme she was going, your license revoked. Revoked. But did they just, what, assume that James Bond was going to find it slightly harder to get around? Well, this is an inconvenience. Taxi! (laughs) But they weren't able to make that leap. Ridiculous. Yeah, because presumably if a man has a license to kill, he he is a man of principles and he will not drive that car. His license has been revoked. We can't possibly call it the Philosopher's Stone, even though that's a well-known piece of mythology. They'll never, ever be able to... Even if we explain it in the film, they simply won't be able to understand it. Because apparently Americans are stupid. Well, I think certainly the people that work in the film industry believe Americans are really stupid. I believe I think they do, yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, The song only got to number six in the UK. It was Gladys Knight's last charting single. You see, what a horrible slant song for poor Gladys Knight. See, I think it's I think it's a great swan song. Alas, hurrah! I mean, cards I mean, on the table here, Mike. I think more people probably will agree with me. Um, because I don't believe that when people are thinking of the great Bond songs, I don't think anybody remembers Lice. I, I, I think I, it's up there with Rita Coolidge and Lulu. How dare you That's exactly throw it in with those two. <laughs> I take offence. I think partly why I like this so much is, again, many podcasts ago, I mentioned I used to listen to uh, a double cassette tape of um, great film tracks and stuff. And this was on there. And I used to listen to the shit out of that tape. And it had A View to a Kill on it. It had Living Dead and it had License to Kill on it. So I've got a great deal of affection for it. And I think License to Kill has, as a film as well, over time has borne out as better a film than people remember, and a, a better song. Go on then, what's uh, what's Licence to Kill like? So basically Licence to Kill was them, the same way they jumped on the Star Wars train with Moonraker, It was Licence to Kill was them trying to be like, hey, there's all these R-rated, 18-rated cocaine you know, drug films being made, let's make a drug crime film with James Bond. So basically you got the villain is a, a drug kingpin, uh, in a bit of a Scarface mould. Uh, it's the first 15-rated Bond in the UK. Right. 
So it's just a bit more dirty and violent and people get murdered in much more kind of graphic ways rather than just being shot or done with a bit of a quip. It's actually a bit more of a gritty James Bond. It doesn't quite mesh because you've still got the scenes of him in a tuxedo in the casinos and stuff playing yeah, around yeah. that. This is, where I, is one of my issues with Bond. They, 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 there's clearly sure in. where somebody says, sorry, where, where is the tuxedo scene? Oh, we weren't really going to bother with it. Put him in a fucking tuxedo. Get to that fucking casino. Quick, smart, my lad. <laughs> do we, do, does he have to play cards? Sorry, did I fucking stutter? Get him <laughs> to the casino. No, he's going to play fucking drafts. Get him to a casino now. <laughs> fucking cunts. Can he just have a go on like a fruit machine? No, he can't have a fucking go on a fruit machine. We're going to have some tense dialogue, followed by some quite overt innuendo with a woman in a backless dress. Get him to the fucking casino. That should have been a title of the next film. Get into the casino! More bawdy romp. Yeah, Licence Kill also uh, notable for being an early appearance of a very skinny Benito del Toro in it as a henchman. Oh, nice. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I, I do like Licence to Kill as a song. I like its bombast. Why did Dalton only do two? Um, essentially because it then... Firstly, Licence to Kill, I think, was the lowest um, selling at the box office. So it kind of... That's a shame. And then it, as always happens with James Bonds, quite cyclically, it gets churned up in lawsuits from whatever production company was helping Cubby Broccoli make it. Um, what's his face? Kevin McClory, who thinks he owns the rights to it because he co-wrote Thunderball with Ian Fleming. Yeah, yeah. He raised his ugly head every five years to say... I've got a bit of sale here. Um, he would rise up and try and... And then studios who would own it would go into turnaround, so the, the rights would bounce here and there. And then by the time they got round to actually being in a position to make another film, they kind of thought, let's just start again from scratch. So when we get to 1995 or GoldenEye, I think Timothy Dalton was actually very much expecting to come back on board, but it was actually a producer who said... Actually, we're going to do a whole refresh. And the weird thing is, I mean, this is... this is actually... We're going to get this Irishman from The Long Good Friday in it. Ah, beautiful Irishman. But the famous story goes with Pierce Brosnan and Timothy Dalton affair was before Timothy Dalton was cast, Pierce Brosnan was going to do it. and But at the time, he was appearing in a TV show called Remington Steel. Yeah. In the, in the US. It, it had some big, a bit of a crossover in the UK. And basically, they'd finished, like, the second season or something. And then there was, like, an 80, 90-day um, clause in his contract of them saying, it's 90-day renewal, and then if we don't renew after 90 days, you can go do whatever the fuck you want. You're releasing your contract. So he did the whole thing. He's thinking, like, they've not really mentioned a season three, so I think I'm in the clear, guys. And he's like, I could probably be fucking James Bond. I'm, I'm going to be fucking James Bond. I'm going to be fucking James Bond. To the point where they actually signed a contract and they even did shots of him in the tuxedo and everything to announce him as James Bond. And then on like day 88, the TV network said, we would like to do Remington Steel number three. And he was like, my fucking world crumbled. Yeah. I imagine the producers are going, ah, I probably won't bother with season three. Hang on. Our star might be James Bond. We've got four days to start you. <laughs> 
Yeah. And take advantage of what I bet he performed in season three of Remington Steel with such good graces. Oh, I imagine so, yeah. So he, pleased to be there. And he even has told stories of like driving down Hollywood Boulevard and seeing the posters of Timothy Dalton living daylights and being... <laughs> yeah. But it all came good in the end because 1995, after a six-year wait, the longest gap between Bond films at that point, we got Goldeneye. And wasn't it wonderful, everyone? A Bond for the 90s. Now, I don't I don't really remember the film. I've definitely seen it. It's one of the few that I have seen and one of the few that I think I've seen more than once. Have you played the game more than you've seen the film? There we are. Mm. Now, I'm wondering whether or not Goldeneye has such is held in such affection. Is it because of the game and virtually everybody that's roughly our age will have played it for hours? You know, partly hours. yes, because that was a great game in its time. It was a great game in its time, but also it's the, it is the reason why the N64 was I ever, mean, in, was ever was, in like contention. For, but what was bizarre about the GoldenEye game as well, it came out like post the film, like it came out after even Tomorrow Never Dies. And then no, they brought out GoldenEye, yeah. yeah. So it was like, but then Goldeneye, the game took off just because you could run around silos just shooting people. And it was fun. And it was like the whole thing, like you were hiding, if you were playing with two people, you're like chasing each other down this massive yeah. empty building. Like, yeah, where are you? And you realise that if you played as odd job, it was actually harder for people to shoot you because yeah. it was shorter than everybody else. And then if you found a cheat code for everyone's head really big and their yeah. arms stupid, I think everyone found that cheat code and it was just really funny. And the, yeah, I think, was it a cheat where you got to play with the golden gun? Which, yes, uh, you could get the golden gun. Um, do you know One what? shot kills. I just want to report though, I don't know why everyone else thinks out there, but a couple of years ago, I was in a retro like arcade game bar or something. Yeah, of course I was. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, him, we played Golden Knight because it was funny, it's going to be really retro. And it does not stand up very well. I was like, this is actually this is quite dull. Um, things have come on leaps and bounds, haven't they? They really have. But, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know, what were you expecting? I mean, Mario Kart's in a hoot. Tetris is classic. Yeah. Whereas Golden, I was just like, it's really Mario slow and the graphics never had here. to even try for sort of video realism. Whereas Golden, I Golden, I sort of had to try. I mean, for the weird passage of um, Pierce Brosnan, Sean Bean. Yeah. Oh yeah. God, yeah, Sean Bean was in it. Yeah, sure. But Goldeneye as a film does stand up really well because it is like a bit of uh, the way The Force Awakens was. This It's a soft remake of Star Wars. Goldeneye just felt like a whole, basically, we've taken bits of every single James Bond previous, mashed up into this 90s hodgepodge and thrown some lovely other things in there, like having Alan Cumming in there, Man, Robbie Coltrane. The thickest Yorkshire accent in Britain. Yes. And, you know, Funky Jensen as Xena on the top. Oh, yeah. Who awakened many a young boy and yeah. girl. Yeah. No, so, so all that being said. Yeah, so. I, I'm gonna, I repeat it, my previous question. The dawn of a new era. If you're, it's the dawn of a new era. Tina Turner. <laughs> Tina Turner's here, everyone. Why is Tina Turner here? Why is Tina Turner here? Hey, I'm pleased to see you. And I also, and I think she does a job on this. I think she's good. Oh, yeah. But I don't understand why anybody was thinking, sure, Tina Turner. Especially when you get the services of Bono and The Edge, who at that point, you two, and may continue to be, were one of the biggest bands in the world. Yeah, Would you, two, you uh, not just ask you two to do the song? 
I don't know a single person that likes you two, and yet, and yet, and yet, they are people do. I mean, I don't. I quite like some of the '80s stuff. Yeah, and I don't hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me is one of the best songs ever made. I think they they have recorded some absolute belters. You will hear no argument from me. But big, big fans. Like, who do you know that owns U2 records? I, I know not a single person who would say, like, I fucking love U2. Don't care what anyone says. Fucking love no, them. But they're one of the no few one. bands in the world that are rich enough to go into the studio with nothing written and just sort of play about. Yeah. They fly around on private jets. <laughs> yeah. They, they still rock star like it's 1978. Because they can, Mike. Who's allowing them to do this? Do we think the um, having Tina Turner come in was essentially a way of doing a bit of an updated Shirley Bassey? Well, like like I said to you the, when I last spoke to you, possibly it's a, an attempt to do. However, even in 1995, Tina Turner had already passed her second. She'd had two of, two rolls of the fame dice already. So, and and both of them are over. There's the whole Phil Spector stuff, and then there's the whole. Then the eighties Renaissance ah, dancer business. Yeah, but even yeah, by ninety five, that had that was in the rearview mirror. She even she can't even remember recording tonight by this point. It was ten years ago or something. Well, why is she But why is why is Tina Turner here? But again, but we thank her. For she does a job. Yeah, and again, it's that great mix because they once again they invoke elements of the orchestral Bond song. I mean, at this point, this is the least rocky, bombastic one for a few songs. Yeah. It's more It's more of a hazy, mysterious sort of... Um, it has more of a mystery to it. Yes, but the country. it's a fucking spy. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. It has more of the espionage for it, that, that the twisty, looking around the edge of a, a corridor. That dun, yeah. Dun, dun, Peering out through smile holes in a newspaper. Yeah. Golden eye. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what Bono and the Edge were going for when writing it. Um, I, I, liked, I didn't realise this before. It was um, produced by uh, Neely Hooper, known for his work with Massive Attack and Bjork. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they, Bono and the Edge wrote it specifically for Tina Turner. So they, they found out that they'd hired her to sing it. So they hired Tina Turner first, and then they went and found Bono and the Edge. To say, oh, write us a great song for Tina Turner. Ah, so we'll have a good go. <laughs> it is, you know, in spite of itself, it's really good. Yeah, I've got, it, gra- I've got enormous affection for it. Because it could just sound like old hat, but it did manage to sound. Yeah, it encapsulated James Bond. I think, I think it sounds quite cool. It does, yeah. And I think after he'd been away for six years, which again was the longest period he, we'd not had a James Bond for, I think people were in the mid-90s, because this was a point in time when I was just starting to become compass to music around me, like new music. <laughs> um, I think people just enjoyed maybe hearing something that sounded a little bit throwback in yeah. a way. Well, it's like, it's- oh, good, James Bond's back. He sounds like James Bond. Sea reflections on the water, water, golden eye. And I really, really like, but a better kiss will bring him to his His knees. You'll never know (laughs) how I watched you from the shadows as a child. Bit odd, that, isn't it? 
Yeah, no, I always thought that. That was a lot we used to say as kids, like, watch your pervert or something. Yeah. I don't know. It seemed, is it, was he watching them as a child or were they a child and peering out of bushes at them? Uh, or is it Sean Bean watching him from the shadows as a child? Is it sung from the point of Sean Bean? I always watch you from the shadows as a child. <laughs> a bitter kiss will bring the lad to his knees. Oh, I die in it, do I? Fucking marvellous. So, we only had to wait two years until we got quite a middling Bond film Come with on, a better Al. song. But but Jonathan Price being very mannered in every scene. I, 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 I have quite a bit of a... Um... Is there a film where Jonathan Price ever really gives it the beans? Or is he always so mannered? It does act up a storm in Tomorrow Never Dies. There's no news like bad news. It's just a big line in it. It is a weird, boring film. Tomorrow Never Dies. It is the one with Jonathan Price, isn't it? I'm, that's it not is. the world. No, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's basically he's a Rupert Murdoch-esque yes, yes, yes. Baron who wants to create a war so he can sell more newspapers. And again, the legend goes that it was supposed to be called Tomorrow Never Lies. Someone in the typist office misheard it and typed it out Tomorrow Never Dies. And the producer went, hey, say, in Tomorrow Never Dies sounds even better. In fairness to the gals in the typing pool, when they had the brandy-soaked <laughs> document passed to them with cigar holes all the way through it, <laughs> it is not an unreasonable thing to go, they probably they probably put dies. It was it's probably, probably dies. It's a James Bond film. It's probably like die or death. Tomorrow never has sex with me and then dies. <laughs> Cubby was having a bad day that day. Dad's gonna have sex with me and then it dies! Tomorrow gets its ass to the fucking casino and then dies. And then rubs a lotion on its skin or else get the hose again. I, I would like to say Cubby Brocky wasn't producing at this point. I believe he actually passed away after Goldeneye, so well, yeah. Um, so don't tweet us. So Tomorrow Never Dies is performed by Cheryl Crow. Co-written by Cheryl Crow and producer Mitchell Froom, who also produced The Crowded House's first three albums. Are they The Crowded House or just Crowded House? They, they, I, I, I couldn't possibly say. Don't give a shit, do you? <laughs> I couldn't give a shit. Not a fan. Um, David Arnold, the film's composer, and he would go on to be the Bond composer uh, for the next four, I think. Films. Uh, he did originally write his own score uh, with KD Lang. Sorry, the theme tune with KD Lang. Uh, but then when they presented that, they kind of went, eh, it's a bit too Blair Morose. So they went, let's have something with more bombast. Cheryl Crow. Look, say what you like about Cheryl Crow. Again, I think she really does a job here. Oh, yeah. It also got, it should mention the Pulp and the Cardigans were also. Um, um, hit my mic. Uh, were solicited for theme tunes, but they were both rejected. But yeah, Cheryl Crow plays a blinder. Yeah, she does. This is great. Dum 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 dum. It features the line vacillations. Good lord. 
mm. which is fun. <laughs> he also sort of explicitly references Bond. Well, not explicitly. He doesn't say, this is about James Bond. <laughs> Mr. Bond. <laughs> but it does say Martini's girls and guns. Martini's a girl of a gun. I mean, the only thing that's missing, really, is a line about a fucking casino. And <laughs> you've got the, the triumvirus. Yeah, Entertainment Weekly reviewer Jim Farber said Crow was the worst choice since Aha, and her voice wasn't strong enough to match the musical operatic heights. I mean, he's wrong on both counts, sir. He really so is. What a I hope that man got fired for his opinions. Yeah, and there he is, claiming to have more consequence than we currently enjoy, and yet he's clearly wrong. Clearly wrong, but we're right, and yet we're here. Cheryl Crow. Uh, acquits herself admirably. NME thought it was the best thing she'd ever done at that point. It was uh, also... I'm not convinced that it isn't. And um, it was nominated for a Golden Globe and a Grammy. But Good. in both cases, it lost to My Heart Will Go On. Oh, God. It was that year, was it? Yeah, it was the year of Titanic, everyone, where all bets were off, everyone. You know, you look back now and think some things like Titanic. Why was it that big? Because of Leo and Kate. But it's a bit ropey. I mean, you and I, the last time I watched it was you and I on a hangover session about yeah, four was or it? five yeah. years ago. And we realised it's about eight hours long. It's a solid three star film. Yeah, it's, it's solid. It's solid. Yeah, it's no, three stars are right. I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of three star films, but I was wildly entertained. But it's a cheesy ass film. Yeah, it's, yeah. And Billy Zane is there. He's one of the high points. Yeah. 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 I hope you enjoy your time together. And Leonardo DiCaprio goes down, takes her down under the deck. And there's a lot of people that actually are talking like that. <laughs> yes, but I'm the edge of there. Not a, I don't think there's a genuine Irishman amongst them. To a man, to a woman. <laughs> load of people, I... load of people from Boston saying, "Yeah, well, we're Irish." <laughs> as it's true today, as it was in the early 1900s. So, tomorrow number dies got to number twelve. Only number twelve in the UK. I mean, I think the other eleven songs were all Spice Girl songs at this point. Well, that and my heart will go on, which just was everywhere. It really was for about five months. My dad still has flashbacks of the. Variety show at the, going to say the sinking of a Titanic. middle school that I had attended, where nearly every other act, presumably due to a lack of communication, was somebody attempting My Heart Will Go On on recorder. <laughs> Fucking hell. There was about 12 different kids, or when you can see the MC going, and oh, here's Nicola from class six going, oh dear. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Awful business. <laughs> So this one, again, it, there's definitely a theme going on the Bond songs now. I think in the 90s, it reached a point where it was like, oh, we've got to try and incorporate the the, like the guitar theme, haven't we? The, the ding, the ding, ding, ding. But on this, it's really slowed down. Well, yeah, and that one, thus it works. Because the problem is, like we said in the, the first half of this, that's some weird-ass surf guitar yeah. that somebody's put in. The that's in the not... That's not going to work. Yeah. So you've got a real mix of the, the really dramatic, the dun, 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 and then slows right down there. And yeah, and her voice is very um, sultry, almost nightclub-esque. 
Yeah. Da- darling, I'm killed. I'm on a puddle on the floor. Waiting for you to return. I remember Cheryl Crow singing with quite that fruity baritone. But hey, it's good. Thank you. How you tease. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, the, the verses are, I think, a little bit ponderous. But I do love when it swells in the um, the, the chorus. So, Until that day. Bow, 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 bow. When her, when her yeah, voice the, that, swells. That's, enough, that's a lovely little counterpoint to the, it's so deadly, my dear, which is almost like an afterthought. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And yeah. I never ever thought I'd be sitting on a podcast with you saying, hey, Cheryl Crow, fucking great. Hey, okay. Cheryl yes, Crow. Great. Really great. Good. I was so yeah. pleasantly surprised with these songs. Oh, glad. Yeah. So I think well, they're more consistent than the other half. It's I'd a shame. So, yeah. Not one of them is Thunderball, but you can't win them all. Nope. Right, so at this point, James Bond was on a roll again, and we were back into the lovely two-year cycle of a what new Bond film every two years. Being and so, we were. 1999's The World Is Not Enough by Garbage. Yeah, now, I remember, I think I remember watching The World Is Not Enough, correct me if I'm wrong, features an invisible car. No, no, that's Die Another Day. Is it right? Oh, it's not enough. Is the starts on the Millennium Dome? Oh, yeah, no, I remember that boat, boat chase through the Thames yeah, ends nice. on a submarine with Robbie. Uh, I was going to say Robbie Coltrane again, but um, Robert Carlyle. Yeah, well, yeah, Robbie Robbie Coltrane is in this, but Robert Carlyle having a um, nuclear rod um, cannoned through his chest. Vaguely, yeah, yeah. Just tell me that's your That's tomorrow never dies. Oh, <laughs> this is Denise Richards. This is the classic. Uh, I thought Christmas only came twice a year. Oh, that's it. What? Just once, Mike. It's <laughs> <laughs> famously once. Under the current system, Christmas comes but once a year. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> what's this? What's this distressing now? Tell me a minute. Happiness life. Saying. Do you lead? You know how much I love Christmas. Second Christmas. <laughs> Kalukale. <laughs> I was in my head. I was thinking she came. To... No, just disregard everyone. No, because that Michael clearly you don't understand. Be- be- because Christmas has already come she once. Has, she has arrived because she, of the fabulous sex but, she's been having with James Bond. <laughs> with James Bond and Sean Bean. She's done that, and as she's had such a lovely time that it's been satisfactorily concluded more than once. This is in direct contrast to Christmas, Mike. For you see, that is but once a year. So what he's really doing is an indirect brag about how fabulous he is at sex. Uh-huh. So how do I get two Christmases? Oh, you just decided to do Christmas again in May, but the rest of us haven't really bought in. Hooray! <laughs> uh, I think garbage. Mm, garbage. Because uh, I, I seem to remember the world is not enough being shit. The film or the song? The film. Because I think the song's really good. This one, again, it sounds a little bit like Tomorrow Never Dies in a certain way. Because, again, you've got that down, 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 down. Again, it's a lovely meshing of the two worlds of orchestration. And the 
Well, the, but, the, the big strings at the beginning. Yeah. Although well, it doesn't really sound like a garbage song. No, it's, it doesn't. It sounds like an orchestra with Shirley Manson's voice on it. Yep, entirely fair. Yeah, I don't hear much of the band here. Yeah, what is Garbage's big song? Uh, I always remember for Stupid Girl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And their debut album, it's a great album. I'm trying to remember some of the other songs off it, but it, it's a very strong album. Oh, I'm a bit... I do like garbage, but yeah, it, this doesn't garbage. garbage. But this doesn't really sound like garbage. It sounds like Shelly Manson and an orchestra. Ah, it's, that's not a problem. It's really yeah, good. I mean, as long as the rest of the guys in the band were paid, I'm sure they're all happy. So the band did write this with David Arnold, who was again the film's composer. Yeah. Uh, they wrote songwriters David Arnold. Yep, <laughs> they wrote the song while on tour. Uh, Written from the point of view of the um, from the viewpoint of the film's villain, Elektra. Uh, Arnold was approached the year before, and he brought um, Don Black in to get the old vibe to counteract the more electronic style he was aiming to bring with the score. Which, if I remember the world is not enough, I don't remember much electronics in the score. But it's nice to see Don Black here. Remind me who Don Black is. He's the great, like, 60s, 70s wordsman. He wrote, like, Diamonds Are Forever, again, Born Free, uh, worked with John Barry a lot. So very much classic James Bond composer. Yeah, fair enough. And David Arnold, as well as being a Bond film composer, is also an admitted James Bond fanatic himself. So it's always quite nice, the fact that he was such a huge fan of James Bond films, he ended up actually getting to write the scores for them as well. It's also, I think, I'm pretty sure it's well-designed enough that also has a Scott Walker song from it as well. Never. Yes. He wrote... Oh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. All right. Yes, so Scott Walker recorded a song. Let me guess. It. It's a Scott Walker song that features on, I don't know, one of the admin team at MI5 and their day-to-day. And it's less about international espionage and it's more about beating your head against a wall in a hundred and bureaucratic environment. It's Kafka-esque. <laughs> <laughs> the machine needs flesh. <laughs> The machine needs flesh. He woke up in agony. <laughs> uh, yeah, they, David Arnold and Don Black wrote Scott Walker a song called Only Myself to Blame, which uh, is a bit more of a, a lounge room jazzy tinge number. So it's less of what we think of as Latter-day Scott Walker, terrible, creepy sounds and horror, and more of a, hey, baby. <laughs> so there's no just ethereal crooning followed by a little... <laughs> <laughs> so much bureaucracy! <laughs> Press your face against the grindstone, Sebastian. All this against the backdrop of international conflict. There's trouble in Belarus. Oh, how can I focus on love with such pain? (laughs) Bullets ricochet in the springtime. Mr. Bond. 
he passes by me in the corridor. That's Bond. That's the only reference to it in the song. <laughs> I mean, Scott, thank you so much for coming in and trying to write some lyrics. Um, is, is it a James Bond song you've written, I mean, Scott? Hey, I'm pretty sure it is. Oh, absolutely, guys. Absolutely. I, as I inferred to you on the phone call meeting we had, I watched the film with great interest and uh, written, I think, my most... Um, if anything, if I may offer uh, a point, if that... Um, all of the, the daring do and the the gunfights and the battles and such, that's quite... I think that dealt with satisfactorily in the film already, and I didn't feel that those themes needed me to touch upon them. I mean, I'm not trying to write a novelization of a film. I'm trying to extrapolate the themes within... What I was interested in was uh, the wider world that all of this is taking place in. So I wrote a song about... A grocer shop in Ukraine. <laughs> why, why, Scott? Well, does Bond not go to Ukraine? Just get to the fucking casino, lad. <laughs> Just get him to the casino. The casino. Okay. 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 The dice fall willy nilly. It doesn't matter if you're working for Her Majesty. No, it does matter. He has to win. Oh, I disagree. Snake the thing is, the gambler's fallacy. Scott, yes. Um, we're not accepting the gambler's fallacy for what's not enough. Oh, okay, well. The cards don't care if you live or die. We all lose, the house wins. No, no, Scott, no. He wins. He, he wins. Even if you think he's not going to win, he will then win. That's how they work. No, I don't think so. Have you read Kafka? So, back to World of Nine after theme tune. He, um, he being David Arnold, that is, uh, demoed it to uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, who at this point are the producers, who liked it, but MGM wanted something more up-tempo. So, he went and took it, um, so he changed it and offered it to Shirley Manson, who screamed down the phone at him when he offered it to her. Because she was frightened of him. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently she's a fan of the series and they saw a chance to record as being part of a, a, a part of film history. And while they toured, they worked with Arnold down the phone. piece of the Bond puzzle this is to be part of. So Manson would end up noting that the final version uh, got our hopes and joys uh, squashed as they had completely screwed with all the... Uh, mixes they put together and it sounded completely different so that's probably why it doesn't sound like a garbage song because they probably did just take her vocals and just turn the rest of the band down in the mix yeah it sucks to be them but uh what's left is a really good song it is a good song and it did get mostly positive reviews from places like kerrang radio times remember that everyone when it's still a thing all music and uh People compared her vocals favourably to Bassey. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and uh, but Melody Maker and Pitchfork both thought it sounded predictable and sounded like sub-Goldfinger. And mm. only, only reached number 11 in the UK. It's trying something slightly, some, something completely different to Goldfinger. That's, that's mm. a sort of reductive comparison. I feel like 
the people that wrote that just went, oh, it's a Bond song. I haven't really. Oh, they all sound like Goldfinger. I haven't really listened to a lot of them, but I imagine they all sound like Goldfinger, and that's the one everybody can remember. So I'll just assume that's what the the standard is. Which you obviously is the, the line that Shirley Bassey's been peddling for thirty years. He woke in horror, for his fingers were made of gold. He couldn't touch his loved ones. The lies drip, drip, drip down your ear canal. For his words are golden. (laughs) Yeah, the one that Scott wanted to record was just die another day, because that's what we all do. Well, that is what we'll do, everyone. Uh, yes, that's ultimately, uh, that is what we'll all do. Fine, if you want to go with uh, this woman called Madonna, but... Um... Madonna, I... A Catholic, good, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd like to see you're bringing some religious imagery into the um, state sure. themes. It's always interesting to see an ecclesiastical theme brought into Bond. I like the fact that the Bond producer at this point are consulting with Scott Walker about... Because he's finger on the pulse. He's, what, he, he is what the, he's got the common touch to Scott Walker. What I think we need ahead of this um, writer's meeting is a two-day screening marathon of Ingmar Bergman. Then when he heard Madonna's efforts, he went, Oh, no, 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 no. That won't do at all. You have failed to understand my teachings. And the teachings of Swedish cinema. Did you read any of the books I sent you, Madonna? The literature. <laughs> I faxed to you, Madonna. Page by page. Page by... Took me seven hours. Two thousand pages with references, Madonna. Footnotes they were. Yeah, so 2002's Die Another Day. Bad film, bad theme song. Yeah. Bad, bad. Dog shit. <laughs> the theme song was written by Madonna and Miros, uh, um, sorry, forgive my pronunciation again, Amadeus. Right. The worst one on the uh, compilation, admittedly a self-created compilation. I'm amazed that's not a thing that seems to be commercially available. Oh, there's many of them. Here's all the theme songs. Yeah, weirdly, you don't get one on like Spotify or Apple Music, but over the years, there's been many CD compilations of them. Yeah. I, I've owned at least three of them in my time. You would have thought that would be a playlist that would be available. Mm. Yeah, I'm, not, yeah I'm surprised it isn't. To do this. Probably some kind of rights bollocks issue, but you, yeah, it's surprising because, yeah. Doing this, I went to look for it, and I was like, hmm, can't actually find just a Bond playlist. Yeah, yeah, I had to make my own. I think I just, I think I just man-made, fan-made, sorry. Um, so yeah, with Die Another Day, MGM, who were the custodians of Bond at this point, they wanted a bigger star for the next theme tune. So it's fair enough, you'd think Madonna, actually, at this point, probably the biggest star when the song was made, but they really had. Yeah, Madonna is a legitimate Stone Cold star Mm. in the way that Garbage are not. Not so much. That doesn't mean that she's made a good one. No, it's it's a first for Bond theme because it's an electro dance pop 
number. Which I would argue Bond did not need. Yep. Yeah, some and actually quite like the fact it was a departure it. in sound. Others panned it as uninteresting and just horrible and wacky. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Although it was... Why are you saying Sigmund Freud, analyse this, analyse this, analyse this? I think at that point, because she was probably married to Guy Ritchie and he loves all to show off he's been reading. Yeah, doesn't he, though? We all remember watching Revolver, don't we? Mm. Revolver, a.k.a. Look how many books I've read, everyone. I've not understood all of them, but nevertheless. But I made notes. Yes, uh, although considering it is uh, quite... Yeah, I think there is that thing where it's like it's trying to be different, which I appreciate with this song. But it's different what it's, we need. But it's, it's different, and then is they're good. Given I would argue the film is broadly the same thing. Broadly the same thing. You get, you get the same sound to a degree. I mean, I initially thought when I first heard this, and I did, I hated the song when I first heard it. I did just think, is it because it doesn't sound like a James Bond song? Is that why I don't like it? And to be fair, over the years, I've yeah. gone back and listened to it, and I've I've listened to other things. And I, I like other things, but. No, I just think it's just a ill-conceived it's a song. Pop song. Yeah, it's just—it's like even the title is just buried in that. That and it's like almost like the chorus is just a glitch. Yeah, it's just yeah. a whole—it's just a mess. It's just—you it, can almost see she was intentionally trying to do something different with it but it's just like no you shouldn't have done that yeah when she sings i'm going to avoid the cliche yes could you perhaps have, could you maybe have embraced the cliche my body it was a top selling dance song in the u.s in 2002 and 2003 Bizarrely, it got to number eight in the US and it was nominated for a Golden Globe and two Grammys. But I think those are both cases of like, oh boy, if we nominate him, Madonna will come to our ceremony. <laughs> Have you noticed how that voice is quite similar to your Scott Walker one, but without the considerate approach? No, enthusiastic Scott Walker. Oh, heavens above, Madonna at our humble little ceremony. <laughs> but the Golden Globes are famous for. Apparently, uh, allegedly, I should say, uh, just nominating people so they will attend their ceremony and they'll get good ratings. Do you mean to tell me? Do you mean to suggest? Do you? That award ceremonies aren't purely and simply about talent and craft. Yep. Um, the video for it involves Madonna being tortured and fencing. Two things which happen in the film and die another day, which is a bad film. I mean, there's less <laughs> there's lesser James Bond films. Die Another Day, I would say, as a James Bond film fan, is the only James Bond film I actively dislike. It's just a bad film. Because it starts off in the first 20 minutes quite promisingly. And it just becomes bizarre. You've just got a villain who's Diamonds, everyone, and there's a bench with diamonds in his face, and the invisible car. Michael Madsen's there for some reason. The the <laughs> villain looks like Rick Mail, even though he's actually a Chinese general. 
And then <laughs> they're in an they're in an ice palace, and then it melts, and then him and Rosamund Pike have sex in a hot tub in a car park, and then Halle Berry's there too, and and she's jinxed, and she's every bit a match for James Bond because I not said that about every single James Bond girl in every other film ever. Every single one. Oh, she's a match for James. No, she's literally there as sexual folly. I'm sorry. <laughs> she, she, she's a conquest. She, she, she's a cipher. Um, Can I ask? Of course she's a match for James Bond. We take, that as, we take that as red. What does she look like in a backless cocktail dress at a casino? <laughs> the only two that I think that generally holds water for are Michelle Yeoh in Tomorrow Never Dies and Grace Jones. I was going to say, Grace Jones. Grace Jones. She... The poster even said, has James Bond met his match? And absolutely, he did. He absolutely met his match. Grace Jones. Has James Bond met his match? Subtitle. Yes, he absolutely did. It's, it's fucking Grace Jones. If anything, she bested him. <laughs> I mean, have you seen how old he is? He can't move as quick. <laughs> Jesus. He's been absolutely ruined by jock Isis. <laughs> and Grace Jones. <sighs> Grace Jones. Her records are... Interesting. Some of them are brilliant. Yeah, get past the disco stuff. Brilliant. Yeah. She really likes to turn up the threat at the same time as she tries to turn up the sexiness. How did she manage to make a more threatening and sexier version of nightclubbing? And yet she did it. She really did it. And warm leatherette. Oh, warm leatherette is brilliant. Yeah. A song you did not know was sexy, but it is. Oh, but it is. Um, and isn't it nice to think about something that isn't dying another day? Yeah, so, again, Bond would go away for a few years. He'd come back as a blonde son of a bitch who we all must dislike, everyone. It's extraordinary to think that harumph. the number of people that harrued and harumphed because Daniel Craig has blonde hair. It was it was incredible. It was the most Who dumbass thing. Gives a fuck. They you know they can cut it and dye it. But you, also you lazy twats. It's not real. It's not real. <laughs> it's not real. If if Ian Fleming had spent pages describing his chestnut mane, and it was like, oh, those flowing coconut tresses, then maybe. But I, I'm I'm not aware of him doing so. Absolutely. So 2006, you know my name from Casino Royale, sung by the dearly departed Chris Cornell. Now, my theory about this is that Chris Cornell um, and Chris Cornell's people were just thinking, if if Chris can get a Bond song, everybody will realise what a galactic-sized voice he's got. Yeah. Um, and not just weird metalheads. Yeah, this is big. Again, we've got David Arnold as a composer, and this is just... His voice just... Oh, every time you think he's finished, but- he finds an extra bit of voice just to squeeze out. But there is an element here where it's also trying to be like manly because we're trying to sound gruff and rugged. This isn't like mysterious romantic bond. It's like, I'm going to punch you in the balls. Yeah, it's it's not a brassy tart of a song, is it? No. Shirley Bassey's gone nowhere near it. This is almost the equivalent of when they made Philadelphia. uh, Jonathan Demi thought, I'm going to get Neil Young in because 
he'll write a song and people will be like, oh, it's not it's not a quote-unquote gay film because Neil Young's written a song for it. And then he watched it and was like, I, I can't write a Neil Young song for that. I'm going to have to write something very tender. And he's like, oh, for God's sake, Neil Young. Look, I want a stubborn man, Neil Young. <laughs> I want a crazy horse all over it. Is that why he opens with "If you take a life, because I kill people, because he kills I kill people. you in the face"? <laughs> if you're foreigners, I will shoot your face. And savory. That's kind of what they do. I mean, in fairness, he is on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I suppose the, um, the degree of well, foreigners of <laughs> the baddies is to be expected. But I, I do think. You know my name is really great. I do like the line, arm yourself because there's no one else here who can save you. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Any any song, I've never heard a song that actually just proclaims, arm yourself. I mean, the odds will betray you is a line that he stole from Scott Walker. (laughs) You will betray you. Yeah, Chris Cornell himself said he was confused by the offer. And admitted he hadn't enjoyed most of the recent James Bond films. Yeah, they both played guitar and bass on the song. What, Arnold and Cornell? Arnold and Cornell. I'm astonished at Chris Cornell's voice. Yeah, he said his his biggest influences on his voice were Tom Jones and Paul McCartney. Hey, well, he's going—he's going for that thunderball. He, well, he—he he does obviously he doesn't pull it off, but <laughs> he comes as close as any man comes as close as any man could. <laughs> I like—I've seen this diamond cut through harder men. It's threatening and manly and sexy. It's so, so hard. He's a hard man. But for once, when he mentions the word hard, he doesn't mean his penis. <laughs> it's it's thrillingly free from sexual innuendo. I think. Yeah, weird, weirdly, the song was actually left off the release soundtrack because Chris Cornell wanted it for his album because it was his song. And they allowed it. Yeah, which is a bold move. Wow, they must have really yeah. liked it. Again, that fly. Again, Grammy nominated because apparently all James Bond songs just get an automatic Grammy nomination. Uh, it gained positive reviews, working well within the context of a grittier, hard edged, manly with that, film. The little Bond flourishes that. Oh, yeah. If you take a life. Oh, damn it! It's, it's a different number because, you know, it's all action y. Big bang, manly, manly, manly. Murder, murder, murder. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was definitely trying to just go for another more high impact style of. Well, uh, you remember how Casino Royale starts with oh, that yeah, but black incredibly and brutal murder. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a good, good film, Casino Royale. Yeah, I thought I'd quite like to watch it again, to be honest. Yeah. And, and Mass Mickelson is there too. Big fan. Well, he's good in everything. He truly is. Um, so yes, it would only be another two years before we got maybe not quite good a film in Quantum of Solace, but I ain't going to throw it out there. I believe uh, an unfairly maligned Bond song in Another Way to Die by Jack White and Alicia Keys. Superb. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's the same that same phrase, isn't it? That da 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 da, but but with like an ace guitar. 
Yeah, people fucking hate this song. Oh, people are idiots. I think I, just, I think they find this a weird. It's just not Bondy sounding enough because it's essentially a duet, and they find Jack White's voice too weedy. No, I think and, Jack White's voice is superb. I do think that some of the words they've written are stupid. <laughs> you read the lyrics. A door left open. No, 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 no. I mean, yes, those are all lyrics. But another blinger with the slick trigger finger for Her oh, Majesty. Yeah. For Her Majesty. For Her Majesty. <laughs> I'm the golden tongued one. I'm remembering something. The one with the golden tongue goes in your face. Fantasy. <laughs> A door left open. It's, it's a really good song. I mean, he's, fu- he's fucking hammering on the drums on this one. I've never heard some symbol in a James Bond theme song. No. I, I'm not with... Again, <laughs> this might not be a Bond song, but in a good way. Yeah, whereas Madonna's, I'm just like, oh, this uh, is different, but no, no. Whereas this is different, oh, yes, tell me more. No, I think Ms. Keys and Mr. White do a wonderful job. Yes, I absolutely. Do. I think it's one of the best ones. Yeah, uh, in fact, it's the first duet. Um, well, it's the first duet James Bond song as well. With uh, White on vocal, guitar and drums and uh, and piano. Was n- a number one in Finland. It was released. Well, well done to the Finns. <laughs> well done, the Finns. You've got good taste. It was released as a downloadable track with Guitar Hero World Tour. But then Jack White said he did not approve of this and was not happy. Huh. It got to number nine in the UK. The Guardian called it jagged and awkward. Yeah, but I don't think that that's bad. Hmm. Uh, people. Uh, a lot of people at the time for it's quite a good song, but is it a James Bond theme? Yes. Did they not hear all that? Yeah, I, I, I do like it. It's, it's attempting to do something different. I think you got two of. Yeah, but it's doing something but... different whilst also respecting the past. Yeah, but you've also got who were then thirteen years ago at the time of recording, but also now fourteen years. Two of America's probably biggest songwriters, the most appreciated songwriters. So you think you got Jack White and Alicia Keys on a song together. That's pretty big. It'll be interesting to see how it ages, this one. Mm. I excuse me. I think kind of well. Yeah, I do. I think it's really good. And certainly when you look at the next three, which are all weepy, ha- <laughs> have charms, are all very sullen, weepy orchestral affairs. Yeah. This is the last Bond song that really just tries something a bit different. And I appreciate it for that. Yeah. I also think the next three, they really turn Bond into... He was a, he was a sad schoolboy. Well, see, well firstly, we, we four years later, we have Sky High. But I think Skyfall, the song by Adele, everyone, um, written by Adele and Paul Epworth, I think off the back of Chris Cornell and then Another Way to Die, which were ballsier, rockier numbers, mm. I quite liked when Skyfall came out, that throwback, that lush orchestral, oh, it's a Shirley Bathy throwback, isn't it? That's nice. Yeah, and of course, like a woman with an enormous voice singing. Yeah, and yeah. 
I think within the context of actually not even the context, I think I can listen to Skyfall the song and yeah, just get swept up in it. I think Skyfall the song and the film are fantastic. Huh? I thought you didn't rate the song. Oh no, I love I love Skyfall the song. It's great. Yeah. This is the end. The only thing I find grating about it, and I do really like it, is the um, the backing vocals. It's Gapo! And it crumbles. And it crumbles. <laughs> think, what, are, what are those cats doing there? They don't yeah, need to do that. You're, you're not needed. No. Take your lead. She's got enough voice for everybody. We don't need yours. Yeah, no, I, I, I even though it has the, what is now the sort of standard... Start softly, softly, piano, then the boys, then the boys creep ah, in. And then, and then, bring a big crescendo! You know, in, in terms of like storytelling structure, it's a bit old hat, but it's a classic. It definitely has that grand Bond tradition to it, which, yeah, come on, everyone, we like a bit of it, don't we? Yeah, it'd be nice to hear what Neil Young did with this, because he does not have a voice that would be suited to a crescendo. <laughs> <laughs> or Robert and, uh, Smith, somebody like that. But um, yeah, I think it just—it I think it really helped Skyfall become as big as it is as well because it really just encapsulates such grandness about it. Because where you think about Skyfall, by the end of it, which I, I do really like as a film, but by the end, it essentially becomes Home Alone with helicopters and houses burning down. It gives—it it actually improves the film. So I think if you had another way to die, set on tracking Skyfall. Mm. Skyfall wouldn't work as well, but I think because Skyfall, the film, is tied up in this grand, big, operatic oh, piece, okay. where when you when you listen to the song, you think of the film, and it actually probably improves the film a little bit in your own head. It's certainly the sort of song that w- would suit slowed down footage of walls falling down. Oh yeah, people looking tired and blood, bloody. Yeah. Yeah, which I imagine is what the video is. It has been ranked as one of the best Bond themes of all time already. In its of course it t- has, yeah. God, it's 10 years old now. God. I went to see this with our dear friend of the podcast, dear Johnny, in Woodgreen in London. And then we repaired to a pub afterwards to discuss. I still think his is the seminal version, John's. Oh, yeah, not for nothing, everyone. John does a blinding version of Skyfall. Oh, he doesn't do all of it. Just the bit you want to hear. <laughs> Skyfall, welcome Yes, this only got to number two in the UK. And number eight in the US. But, but it's gone on to sell 7.2 million copies, making it one of the best-selling digital singles of all time. And it earned an Oscar, a Brit, a Golden Globe, and a Grammy. I mean, call me churlish, but I'm absolutely desperate for Adele to fail. Not forever. <laughs> uh, she's very good, and you know, I wish I wish the woman well in her life. I really do. But my God, so let somebody else sell a record. And Ed Sheeran, how how are they this big? So Sam Mendes told Adele to use "Nobody Does It Better" as inspiration. To write from the heart. Oh, okay. And she admitted she enjoyed writing to a brief rather than just writing again about a breakup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I she did. That, I rather thought that was her brief. 
Yeah, I mean, I she didn't say that. I've just yeah, because pretty much all her songs are about breaking up with someone. They do seem to be, don't they? They're all about breaking up with someone. I mean, the last album is literally about her divorce. Yo, she's gone through a lot of heartbreak. That poor, that poor woman in her short life. Well, it's easy to keep track of how old she is on account of the old album title. So mm-hmm. you know, is it? She's 47 now? Yes. Oh, wow. Doesn't look a day over 50. Yeah, you just listen to the album title and you add 17. That's the rule. Ah, uh, she knows I play. She's, yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. she's, a, she's, she's a an old, an old rooster. She knows what she's doing. Oh, she's a funny one. Oh, you got to keep your eye on her. She's not. She's not a funny one. Oh, come on, love. Oh, she's so fun. People really do love that shtick, don't they? Oh, yeah, they do. She's a big girl. Yeah. I'm, I sound, I'm I one sing, of you, love. I'm one love just like you. I sing like an angel, but I talk like a fishwife. It's funny, isn't it, cunts? <laughs> Goodness me. <laughs> Madam. <laughs> Adele yes. really giving it both barrels. <laughs> bang, bang. Yeah, from the first conversation she had with the producers um, to compose the song, it took them over 18 months to actually get it to uh, completion. Tinkle. And that was just the backing vocals. <laughs> Let the sky fall. The unwarranted, unwelcome backing vocals on an otherwise superb song. Much so unwelcome. And the sky fall. And it crumble. No need. There's no so- need. Because you can imagine they're smiling, and there's nothing to smile here at Skyfall. It's a dark, rank well, it's theme. A Scottish establishment, isn't it? <laughs> it's a Scottish establishment, yes. Yes, yeah. Sky, Skyfall. Is, is it a castle or stately home? I don't remember. I mean, it's a very grand way of saying it's your home, which is, is again, lovely for a James Bond film in general to say Skyfall. It's the name of his birth home. As opposed to Octopussy. You know, it's a bit more cuts for core. <laughs> but it's, it's quite a grand... Or Quantum of Solace. Or... Yeah, but it's, it's quite a grand... Welcome back to my ancestral home. home. Die another day. <laughs> Father that, was terribly eccentric. Is that Madonna over there? Yes, yes, she's groundskeeper. Yes, Entertainment Weekly said, Finally, a great Bond theme. They didn't specify parameters of when they'd stop being great. But yeah, the uh, what the twenty preceding songs didn't have a looker in the bunch, did they? The best since all time high. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Rita Coolidge lobby. <laughs> oh, Entertainment Weekly, when will you stop with this bipartisan nonsense of Rita Coolidge? Let it go, Entertainment Weekly. <laughs> MTV said it was up there with Bassey, McCartney, and LeBon. Uh, no mention of Jones in that list. I, I'm sorry to report, Adam. I think you seem to be very much in the. the I was going to what? say powerful, fundable lobbies, but no, you, your your lobby has not had any traction yet. Yeah, that, why is that? Could nobody else hear what I hear? <laughs> no. Huh. Weird. <laughs> the Hollywood Reporter complimented its 60s throwback theme sound. Whatever. 
Which, yeah, I think, because as well, Skyfall was the 50th anniversary of Bond. So I imagine there was a degree in there where it was like, let's do a bit of a throwback. Make it orchestral. Big bombast. Big voice. Big Bassy. Ah, can, can Shirley Bassey cover it? You've got a Bond song. You better believe she can. Even if nobody wants her to. No one wants her to, but she, by gum she will. She's gonna. Yeah, so Skyfall, um, yeah, I think great song, great film. But I think Skyfall as well is probably one of my top James Bond films at this point. If not uh, the toppest. I'm not sure I can really remember it. You've got Javier Bardem in there as the, the villain. It's very much, you've got well trotting around at the start also it's photographed beautifully and then the second half is firmly we're in the uk which was a novelty in itself for a james bond film but actually we're doing a james bond film set in great britain which is actually just a bit of a nice change of pace although like i said the ending does descend into home alone with guns and helicopters well great What's wrong with that? And Albert Finney's there too, looking curmudgeonly with Did a blunder bus. I assume there's a casino. There is in China. I believe it's China. Yes. So we we'll get a casino and the Chinese Venice. Yeah, you get everything. To be a, Skyfall has it all, doesn't it? Really? Skyfall has got it all. All it's missing is some, you know, Russian red menace. Not touching that. <laughs> for, for fear of ref- repercussions yeah. from. I mean, we're sitting in. It's got, and also some red menace. The unspoken bit there is yellow peril, which I was going, which I was going, I would say, out of my way to avoid, Michael. And you just said it, and I'm leaving it in. <laughs> so we would have to wait three years until the follow up to Skyfall, which would be Spectre bringing back the gang of. Daniel Craig and Sam Mendes. The but gang. Bringing back the what gang. A humorless and, gang. Yeah. And whereas everyone loves Skyfall, it was such a dream. Everyone, I think, to a man, to a woman, uh, did not enjoy making Spectre and felt pretty much duty bound and they were very much working to a very tight deadline. As I, For some reason, with James Bond films, even though they're independent films produced by independent people, who can control all this, they always set themselves these ridiculous timelines to go get the film done. only make these films, like the... Yeah, like, um, Barbara Broccoli splashes out now and then and will work on something like the rhythm section with Blake Lively, which... Everyone see that, everyone? No? Good. Everyone? We did not see that, everyone. (laughs) Also, uh... (laughs) And she does some theatre stuff as well, but yeah... It's largely their bread and butter, but they always set themselves these ridiculous deadlines. So they'll say, like, on January 1st, we're announcing the new James Bond film. It'll be out in October. And then you just see the director's face go, like, holy fuck, what? <laughs> <laughs> There's so much to do. I need to make notes. <laughs> <coughs> so for Spectre, um, initially, Radiohead were quartered. Quartered? Hunger and quartered. Uh, they were quartered. And they made an interesting little ditty. 
However, in fairness, I can sort of see Radiohead being involved in this because it's big ooh, bands. Melancholy affair. Melancholy. It, by this point, Johnny Greenwood is Sir Johnny Greenwood, film composer extraordinaire. Is he a sir? No, but you know, oh. at this point, he actually has like such cachet in the film Chops. world. He, oh, he, he's a composer of note. So you got you got that thrown in there. Um, yeah, it wasn't quite what I was expecting, and you do wonder like you you ask Radiohead to make you a James Bond theme. Mm, there's a quite mm, not quite the right tempo for us, is it? It's fucking Radiohead. What are you expecting? Yeah, it's like uh, oh, I don't know, Johnny Cash making a Bond song. I mean, some would argue his version of Thunderball would have been preferable. He's a man. He's a man. You are a filthy bitch. <laughs> writings on the wall. So the, writings on the wall, the it, theme tune to Spectre. I quite like it. I, I really did. I, and I like Sam Smith's voice. Although it is a little bit like Bond was bullied at school. Yeah, I'm not... When Sam Smith first came on the scene, I thought, oh, he's a bit of a different voice. Like, not just in terms of personality or anything. I literally just thought, his voice sounds a bit different to what else is out there. I very quickly got annoyed by their voice and went off it very quickly. Yeah, they are a they, aren't they, Sam Smith? Yeah, Yeah. Sam Smith identifies as they. Um, Yeah, and I just find their voice very just kind of annoying now. Um, much like Bad Boys hosted there. Um, um, well, I can't say that I know many of their output. Clearly, I don't. But I, I like their voice on Writings on the Wall. I just don't understand why a Bond song is this emush and not. I think not dangerous, do, is it? it? It does feel not like sexy. It does feel like Skyfall Adele song was a big hit. Let's do something similarly orchestral. But this right on the wall is much more downbeat affair, whereas Skyfall has that real gut punch of a you mm. know massive orchestra behind it, the great voice. Whereas, like you say, it just sounds like Sam Smith being bullied. It's a bit weedy. And it's just it's so melancholy. No, I don't think it sounds weedy. I don't think that's fair. But I do think it sounds sad. <laughs> no, I think it sounds weedy to the point where it's just like because <sighs> clearly what he's because the phrase writings on the wall is clearly referencing the points in the film towards the end and the climax where he's gone in the bombed out MI5 building and it's literally written like James Bond on the wall. So the writings oh. on the wall, everyone, they're drawing me to my death. Oh, I uh, see. Right. Yeah, so it's directly referencing a, a plot point in the film. Yeah, I assumed it was referring to I don't know, somebody writing like James Bond is a twat on the wall <laughs> in the toilets. <laughs> it's pretty much school. a bloke. Pretty much a blowfell does it. Oh, the, the, the writing's on the wall again. <laughs> Threw my phone number down. I'm keep getting texts all night. Oh. Yeah, I just think it's, it sounds too just... There's, and it's faux emotional for me as well. It's just... <laughs> whatever. You know, it's just, yeah. it, yeah, it, and it, it, it lends... The, the same way we're just saying, like, Skyfall... The film is enlivened by the theme song because it's so big and dangerous and mysterious. Whereas Writing on the Wall, I just think lends spec to this air of just 
Ugh. None of us can be bothered, can we? Diminished Ugh. by the song. Yeah, it, it actually is. I think partly... I'd say a very because Spectre, I don't think is a very good film at all. It was very much a, whereas Skyfall was the greatness of Spy Who Loved Me. It was followed up by Moonraker, which was shit. Spectre is like Moonraker. Mm. It's just like, eh, you 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 did so well in the last one, everyone. You've got all the gang back. It's the same crew doing it, and you just gone and done this. But lines like, when you're not here, I'm suffocating. Why? Why are these lyrics not about all the fabulous sex he's having with foreign women and punching Dave Batista on a train? Oh, Dave Batista's there. Dave Batista's there. He's oh, Mr. Jinx. He's Mr. Jinx the henchman. Of course he is. Who's much better than Christoph Waltz, who appears in Spectre playing Christoph Waltz? Yeah, Christoph Waltz only plays Christoph Waltz. He does, and he's got a very, very odd voice, hasn't he? He does, and again, I. In some films, I think Christoph Waltz is a hoot. Sometimes he's kind of obnoxious and annoying. Inspector, yeah. he's he's ratcheted up the obnoxious and annoying. I watched the most recent one uh, on telly, mm. and he's very annoying, very very annoying, insufferable yeah. almost. And then, and that's because Blofeld should be you know the absolute antithesis of Bond and just a quite you know just. Ugh, horrible villain, this madman, and he just comes across as like this loafer-wearing sh- douchebag. Somebody that's uh, bearing grudges about their earlier days. Yes, and just keeps saying cuckoo. Oh, please stop doing that as your catchphrase. Yeah, it's, that's a shit catchphrase. Is it cuckoo? Right, that's annoying. <laughs> to it to woo. <laughs> a wood pigeon. <laughs> yeah, so Dave Bautista comes off better as a villain than Christopher Holtz. Um Yes, the song itself did receive mixed reviews being compared unfavorably to the older songs in the catalogue. Again, but I liked it, but... It did, however, get the standard at this point, a Golden Globe and a fucking Oscar. Wow. Yeah, and Sam Swift did describe how they... Uh, it was written in a whirlwind session, writing it in under half an hour and quickly recording a demo. So Half an hour, you say? Shocking. Against the 18 months Adele spent on her version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And apparently his actual demo vocal was used in the final version. So I Didn't even bother redoing that. So that was a quick old payday for Sam Smith. Yeah, and later they would say that it's actually horrible to sing live because the notes are just too high. Because it is very high. Mm. It's so high. Yeah. Um, certain publications like Stereo Gum actually said it was inferior to Radiohead's aborted theme song because um, Radiohead actually ended up releasing their version on SoundCloud ah. for, for free. Um the Daily Telegraph thought it was a monster ballad. I've always thought it's just a bit of a dirge. It does nothing for me. But the writing's on the wall. It's, again, it's got all the trappings of what a James Bond song should sound like musically, but it's just... Mm, no, it's just, it's just a big no from me, Adam. Do you think it's because it's so high? Yeah, I'm not quite sure as well. Their voice actually works with the lushness of the score. 
I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just. Mm, it's almost hard. It's hard for me to actually put my finger on why I don't like it. And again, I'm not a big Spectre the film fan, but yeah, just mm, no. Because the thing is, you could tar the, the next song with the same brush of like bit of a dirge, isn't it? It's just a bit dark yeah. and depressing. It's the, I'd say it's the one I'm least familiar with. So the next and final one we're talking about is No Time to Die. Technically from 2020, but the film wasn't released till 2021. You know, you know why, everyone, because of all that business. That bug that was going around, yeah. You know, that bit of a, you know, bit of an issue we all had for a couple of years. I don't know anything uh, about Billie Eilish. Is she that um, one that's incredibly young? Yes, incredibly yeah. young. She's very successful. So she uh, started out uh, recording songs in her bedroom very much. She's probably the uh, pinnacle of SoundCloud artists, where she started off on SoundCloud, very much homemade songs made in her bedroom with her brother Phineas, uh, and they just absolutely took off. Phineas? Yeah, her brother Phineas. Phineas Eilish? No, no, he just goes by Phineas. Like Madonna, right, okay. Just Phineas. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, so, again, it's a big, bold step for them to say, let's get one of the biggest stars in the world at the moment. And also, she's only about 19, 20. So, what does she know of the pain of James Bond? Oh, absolutely nothing. But equally, what do any of us know about the pain of James Bond? Because it seems to be a movable feast. <laughs> Depending on which Bond you've got. Yeah. I, di- I didn't get the sense that Roger Moore was in... in, in Turmoil. Ter- yeah. Yeah. I mean... He had to, all the chuck ices he could eat. It was fine. To me, to, No Time to Die, it, it's thematically very similar to Writings on the Wall, but done, I think, with much more aplomb. And it, it has a sparseness, a darkness, a melancholy, whereas I think Writings on the Wall just sounds like, oh, let's go have a good cry, everyone, shall we? It's a James Bond film. Let's whereas, have a good cry, is it? Whereas, because of the nature of No Time to Die, and I'll avoid spoilers for the film because I imagine there's some of you out there who've still not seen it. But because it's the final Daniel Craig one and the film itself has much more fi- finality to it and it's very much a ghost of the past. I mean, I've seen it and I couldn't really tell you what was going on. I completely lost interest. I, actually, I thought it was very good. I, was I thought it was... Not quite Skyfall, but it was damn, damn sight better than Spectre. I really enjoyed Casino Royale. Yeah. And I think it's been downhill since then. I, I to be honest, I feel the same way about GoldenEye. They do one good one, and then... Yeah, GoldenEye the and then they just go down the piss. But I, for me, it's, you know, Skyfall, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace. No, no, actually, Skyfall, Casino, No Time to Die, Quantum, Spectre. Are you sure? Because, I mean, nobody asked, but it's important that you get it right. Hey, hey, people catalogue their James Bond films. It's a big thing, Adam. This guy doesn't. Well, as we, uh, sorry, I'm uh, pointing at myself. As we know from the previous episode, you've barely seen any of these films, and the ones you have seen, like, wait, was that the one with that guy? And no, no, Adam, it wasn't. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm like, it's like watching a film with every girlfriend you've ever had. Just uh, wait, who, who's, who's that? I don't know. I've never seen this. I, I, I don't know, but I'm sure that if we pay attention, it will become clear. Perhaps if you shut your mouth. Yeah. Or, or, or it'll reveal itself. Pop your phone down and uh, 
pop pop those lips shut and then maybe we'll we'll, we'll all figure out what's going on. Yeah, so I do think um, in terms of just the overall, just um, the theme of No Time to Die, as in the theme of the plot, and the whole vibe of the film, that it's a film very much of regret, and just, yeah, coming to the end of stuff, I think No Time to Die, the song works very well, just conjuring that absolute, just despair, just sort of the, the, the opening lines, like, I should have known that I'd leave alone. It's like, oh, yeah, it's actually... When you watch the films, actually, are quite powerful. I feel okay. Better, uh, better I than the on the world. I don't know whether or not I ever saw Spectre, though. To be honest, well, you didn't so, remember Dave Bautista's in it, and he's quite—he looms large in it. Yeah, well, I don't think I've seen it. So people kept banging on about No Time to Die, about yeah, about the—is it a spoiler? What happens at the end? Nobody knows. And Freddie Mercury's uh, there too. Brilliant. Sort of watched it and went, what? Oh. <laughs> I, I, ah, come on. I've watched everything Marvel ever made, and yet I'm still finding this baffling to care about. Actually, um, yeah, Billie Eilish wasn't yet 18 when she recorded the song. That is offensive, isn't it? Yeah. How dare she be that talented? Yes. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, the song won a Grammy. It was number one in the UK and Ireland, but only 16 in the US. Yeah. And she wrote and recorded it in three days on a tour bus in Texas. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Well done, her. Again, 18 months, Rodell. And half an hour for Sam Smith. So, yeah. <laughs> draw your own conclusions. Hmm. Yeah. And then they, uh, they her and uh, Phineas, Flew to London in December 2019 to record with Hans Zimmer, who uh, was a composer of Where's the film. Where's she from? Is she American? She's American. Yeah. yeah. And then once they started recording with Zimmer on the actual um, the music of it, it took about a month back and forth on this tour bus in Texas, probably, to get it uh, finalised. Yes, the lyrics reflect betrayal and embody the tension of espionage, specifically Madeline Swan's betrayal of Bond in the film. Oh, she's the broad at the beginning. It's uh, Leia Sadu's character, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then there's all those cats on little motorbikes. I know there are. I've seen it. I could also be describing every single film. (laughs) Some broad done him wrong, and then some foreign fellas on motorbikes come after him. Sorry, for a split second, I thought you meant actual cats on motorbikes. I was like, what internet video have you watched? Because I want to see that. <laughs> a better film. <laughs> melancholy cats on bikes video scored by No Time to Die. I should have known. Meow. Yes, Alexis Petridis. I believe oh, yeah, yeah. someone you, you are well disposed to. Critic. Yes, well disposed to. Said it's a confident and appealing addition to the Bond canon. Alexis Petridis is confident and appealing. He's excellent. I thought you'd enjoy that one. Variety said it was one of the better Bond songs for the last 30 years. One of the better songs of the last 30 years. Wow, that's damning with faint praise. One of the better ones in a 30-year period. Jesus. Well, when you've got the likes of Die Another Day and writing on the wall in there. And All Time High. 
Yeah, yeah, that, that falls in the window. Yeah, yeah, falls like, in the window. Falls in the catchment area. Yeah. Well you. you. He's a teacher, everyone. Yes. I, I, I do, like, I, I think when I when it first came out, I was interested to hear what Billie Eilish was going to do with the James Bond song. And I was like, oh, well done, you. you you've kept in the spirit of things. But actually, it's quite a dark affair. I like it. Yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, it, it brings a nice heartbreaking... Um, epilogue to the entire Daniel oh, Craig a lovely bear. heartbreaking epilogue yes you know you start off with the bombast of Chris Cornell he just wants to punch you in the face and by the end we're all going away for a good old cry Chris Cornell was great after we've all bullied Sam Smith for a bit ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. yeah oh Chris Cornell would have bullied the shit out of <laughs> Sam Smith <laughs> Yeah, it also, I like the vibe of it. It does have a slightly smoky-tinged, dark bar feel to it as well, the song, I like think. Like a casino. Like a casino. Do you know what? <gasps> no Time to Die has zero casino scenes oh, in it. And that, that is why it fails. That's why you lost interest quick. Yep, 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 yep. Yep, 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 yep. So that is the James Bond themes, 1985 to 2021. Tricky. Which, I mean, the worst one is so obvious, but the best one, because they're... they're Sorry, can I just clarify, with worst, we are talking Die Another Day or Writings on the Wall, yeah? Not, not... Oh, no. License to Kill. Skip to the end. Of course it's died another day. Of course it oh, is. Thank fuck for that, of course. Of course it is. At least Gladys Knight one is recognisably a Bond song. True, 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 yes. Yeah, so um, worst die another day, no it's shock of right. so The world doesn't deserve to be on the, le- the worst one. Well, certainly, but cr- actually, in the, in the grand scheme of Bond songs... It's a good I would, song. I would put it in the bottom five. <laughs> Hanging out with Rita Coolidge. <laughs> Hanging out with Rita... Hanging out with Rita and Lulu. Lulu, obviously, yeah. Lu- Lulu looms large in the worst of. And a couple of Shirley Bassey's efforts. I quite like all of Shirley's. Lyrically. I quite like all of Shirley's. You're a liar. You're a liar. <laughs> I'm, I'm an outlier for a Moonraker. I'm a Moonraker contrarian. I like it. So, what would... what? Right, I'm going to ask you two questions here then. So, what would be the best of this crop, and the then best overall, and best overall? <laughs> I think we all know what the best overall is. Thunderball. Now, now that we've got that out of the way, mm. let's let's deal with this current crop. Because, of course, such a lot is riding on my opinion here. It is. A nation hangs on your every word. No, it doesn't. I have no consequence. Oh, yeah, shit. I forgot the brief. Uh, this is meaningless, everyone. I don't know. I suspect. I suspect I might end up going with a view to a kill. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's... Just because I... I love listening to that song outside of... Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Bondathons. 
your your biannual bondathon. Yeah, yeah. I think Live and Let Die and View to a Kill are sort of already on my playlists. Yeah. See, there's, there's songs in the whole James Bond canon that I genuinely love and will listen to happily out of any sort of, you know, on shuffle. It'll come on like, yes. Yeah, I also think Nancy Sinatra deserves. I, yes, I, that was I genuinely very high billing. Genuinely love "You Only Live Twice." That I think that may pip "A View to a Kill" as my overall favorite Bond song. But it's "A View to a Kill" being a very you just pipped it to the post. Definitely pipped the much cooler of the two. I just I adore that song so much. Yeah, because it's belting. I, I can listen to that song on repeat when it comes on. Uh, but like I've been listening to A View to a Kill my entire life ad nauseum, and I still fucking yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Great. I so I, I knew you were dancing into the fire. I was. That's, 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 and forevermore, that's how people shall meet me. Um, yeah, I think, certainly for this crop of songs, A View to a Kill, but I do think overall you only live twice i think but also up there as well nobody does it better mm. um it's it's hard to argue with goldfinger because it's ubiquity what would you say is the worst overall is i do it, i is oh, it all time high i was gonna say we forgot as well you know um we have all the time in the world Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, that's got to be up there in top three. Yeah. They've that's really been responsible for some really great songs. Yeah, but again, songs which... And some up... total stinkers. Oh, yeah, but songs that transcend the Bond's... <coughs> the, bond, the Bond universe and just become great songs. But also, it should, it should be... I think it's worth saying as well that John Barry, throughout his, you know, his period as a composer, made some absolutely just beautiful music as well. Like the score for Honor Magic Secret Service... You Only Live Twice. And actually, I, I didn't even mention when talking about A View to a Kill. I, the film itself is meh, but the actual score to A View to a Kill, I think, is one of, genuinely, this isn't just be a fanboy, A View to a Kill is one of the most underrated, beautiful film scores, I think, um, ever. Yeah. There's some dangerous-sounding stuff on there, but some genuinely wonderful, tender stuff on there. But I think, because it's in a meh film, gets overlooked. Uh a shame for the uh, the musicians, isn't it? When it is. They do some of their best stuff, and it's just dragged down into the abyss by in a in a marginal work overall. By being in a fairly lackluster film. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I would recommend I would commend it to the um, Parliament, but uh, you should go seek out the score to a View to a Kill. So. Um... I think this brings us to a close with the James Bond theme. Well done, everyone. Yes. Thank you I for staying with us. I think we've wrapped up Bond to our satisfaction. To our satisfaction. Maybe not to everyone else's, but certainly to ours. So, Adam, when next time we meet to bring our opinions, what shall we be talking about? Is it time to bring out the will, which I would say in this lovely pub corner is sort of skimming the ceiling? <laughs> Right. I'm delighted to see that it's me. And of course. I mean, I basically teed it up saying it was going to be you anyway. The, the, the wheel this week seemed to be meaningless. Yeah, I mean, it's a wheel covered in my name. 
it was tricky. Um, the album I've been listening to the most, I think, which I was I came very close to choosing, was uh, "Band on the Run" by Wings. So we're sticking with the theme of music, then we're not we're not breaking out the uh, the confines yet. It was going to be "Band on the Run" by Wings, Ooh. which I happen to believe, despite the naysayers, is a triumph of a record. It also clocks in at an agreeable forty minutes. Ooh. However. I decided to go with something that I've never actually listened to in its entirety. I'm familiar with some of the songs, but never uh-huh. ever the record. Go on. Back in Black by ACDC. Huh. Yeah. I've never actually, honest to God, listened to it. All of it. Have you? A long time ago, yes. I mean, there is, I don't but, think there is anything I could come up with that you haven't listened to a long time ago. But that, that's to say, it's not an album I could say, to, oh, yeah, man, yeah, listen to it. Well, yeah, neither I, one I, of us I, are ACDC fans. I would say that we're probably well disposed to them, but we're not fans. Yeah, they're a band who I enjoy, but very much a best of will do me just yes. fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I As, suspect that based on the star rating on Amazon Music when I was doing this, the big hitters are obvious and they're a murkier waters that lie beneath those and yeah it's, again it's only 41 minutes long i mean i remember listening to black ice when it came out about a decade ago and just thinking huh that sounds like acdc i think black ice might be even more than a decade ago oh we're getting old <laughs> yeah. oh mercy so yeah I thought right. this is a decent opportunity very to good to that. also i quite like to listen to something that was Really ballsy. Good, strong balls. Lots of guitars. That's the sort of that's the sort of thing. Okay. That's what that's what we want. Right, very good. I'll wash the flavour of some of these weedier James Bond songs out of the colour. Yeah, yeah. Really, really wash them out of your hair. Mm. Gonna get Sam Smith right out of my hair. <laughs> Sam Chris Cornell. <laughs> Right, so thank you, and join us next time, everyone, to talk about... Well, sorry, you won't be talking about it. We'll be talking about ACDC. Oh, yeah, we've got absolutely no interest in what you people think. <laughs> Except we do, don't we, Mike? Dear, please of do course get in we touch. do get in touch. And please do like and subscribe us if you so wish, and leave us a five-star review. I know this is not five-star worthy, but if you would just be so kind to please leave us a five-star review on your podcast. We've set our stall out reasonably. We, we're aware we're very much a three-star endeavour. Three's fine. <laughs> Three is fine, and bless you. If you would like to get in touch with us to maybe cast opinions on anything you so choose, you can find us on Facebook. We are Men of No Consequence. We are on Twitter at Opinions of Monk. Opinions of Monk. So that's M-O-N-C. Yeah. I would like to know what people believe to be genuinely the worst Bond song of all time. I'll be interested. Yeah, forget your favourites. Let's talk about the shittest one. Yeah, let's know. Is it you're... Rita Coolidge. Yes. Why? <laughs> if you so choose, we're on Instagram at Men of No Consequence. And if you would like to email us, uh, we're still Listening Party Pod because I've not got around to changing that yet. Um, listeningpartypod at gmail.com. So until next time, everyone, where we'll be back talking back in black. I have been Man of No Consequence 1, Mike. He is Man of No Consequence 2, Adam. No, no, I'm Man of No Consequence Alpha. Alpha Prime Adam. Cheerio. Bye-bye.